Welcome back, everyone. This is the 59th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. A quick note before we get started, if you haven't already, please consider giving us a follow on Instagram at, at underscore AIR podcast or supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash AIR podcast. Thanks especially to our latest patrons. Your generosity and support really means so much. On to this month's new episode, where I'm joined by German producer and live performer Tobias Freund. True veteran in electronic music, Tobias's first job was as an apprentice in a music and recording studio in Frankfurt where he grew up. Fueled by a deep love of technology, machines, and sound, he learned to engineer and later to create. These days, he has a concise collection of hardware, which he uses to experiment in techno, downtempo, punk, and beyond, dedicating his every day to the pursuit of music that moves him, not only in the studio, but performing live solo and with collaborators like Atom TM, Max Loderbauer, Valentina Berthelon, or Javiera Gonzalez. Tobias and I met at his studio in Berlin to discuss all things machine, technology, and the joy of exploring a craft he spent a lifetime perfecting. Tobias, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. So we are here in your studio where I've read that you don't have access to the internet on your computer. You're not really using your phone. You're just sort of alone here in your little bubble <laughs> making music. Everything that's here is a tool for music. Um, so how is it for you to work here? Is this your sort of ideal workspace? You made a good research. Mm -hmm. I don't have access <laughs> to internet. It's uh, it's a thing that uh, I really like not to have access to the computer mm -hmm. or to internet here. I mean, I have my phone and I can get online on the phone, but I'm really happy not to have any computer asking me you need an update mm -hmm. uh, through internet. This is why also my system runs Perfectly. Pretty good. <laughs> and I don't need uh, any update. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very happy being here in my studio. Yeah, you've been here for a really long time. You said 10 years. Also 11 years, even 11 wow. years. Amazing. It's interesting because I've been to some studios where it's kind of set up for like life. You know, some uh, the last one I was at, somebody had a bed and a fridge and, you know, all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, so it must be really motivating to be somewhere where it's just for music. Like it's not your house, but it's just you come here and you have to create. Yeah, that's true. The atmosphere here is kind of unique for me because you don't hear anything. And I know that I don't bother anybody. If I would be at home, I would always think maybe my wife or my daughter is like listening to the same loop for two hours. <laughs> Driving them I, crazy. I, I don't like that. <laughs> I like to be somewhere. I don't bother nobody. I wonder if it reminds you a bit of how you got your start. You were working in a studio in Frankfurt where there was, you know, at the time there was no laptops and there wasn't even MIDI. That wasn't really part of the music production system. So can you speak a bit about that time in your life? Um, okay. This is a long way back. Um, 
I started to do music when I was still in school. I bought this uh, uh, synthesizer, this MS-20 from Cork, while I was still in school because uh, I was working in uh, holidays and earned some money and I could afford this synthesizer. And I didn't like school so much, so I w went off quite early. I didn't do my final Abitur and um, started to work in the studio right away because I was already interested in music, mm -hmm. doing some crazy experiments at home with a friend of mine. So my interest in music was already there and I started to work in the studio. So what kind of technology were you learning and working with at the time, if not uh, computers or whatever else? No, well, when I started to work in my house, in my parents' home, we just had like two cassette recorders recording sound on sound. We didn't have any computer. Or this was 1980, mm -hmm. 8-0. Yeah, that's when I bought my MS-20. Then I went to the studio. First day I went to the studio, he showed me the, the Neve uh, mixing console and it was like, oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, and he asked me, the boss asked me, do you think you can work on this? And I was like, oh God, oh my God. Yes, I can do that. Did you know how to do it? No, I didn't know. <laughs> it was, it's, it's like jumping into water and learning to swim. This is, this is how I learned it. I never did any studies or anything. I was just interested in the gear and like knobs, I like gear, I like equipment. I mean, it's interesting because if you put me down in your studio right now, I would have absolutely no idea where to start. Well, yeah, <laughs> of course, there is like uh, machines, like drum machines and synthesizers, and there's uh, outboard equipment and a mixing console, which brings everything together. But it took a long time to get all this stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, so I have everything since a long time time and I will keep it forever, I think. And so was there a point when you were working in the studio where you felt like, I don't know what I'm doing, or did it all come really naturally for you? No, I, I enjoyed learning there, um, creating music with sound and learning how to work with customers. But in the free time, when, when there was nobody there, I used... <laughs> I used the studio for my own sure. uh, endeavors. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was quite uh, interesting. It was amazing time. And then uh, I, w I moved to another studio where I was working for 18 years, this Far Studios, where we had this all these commercial big success hits. Right. Milli Vanilli and all these. Okay. I was working uh, on all that stuff as an engineer not like a producer. Mm -hmm. I was only working as an engineer there. Was uh, that a big learning experience as well? A learning experience by having uh, patience. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I really love to work with machines and with outboard gear and with all the, the studio equipment. Mm -hmm. It's not a, it wasn't hard le learning this for me. It was more hard to learn how to deal with my time because it's open end you go there you work there and it's over when it's over hmm. when the artist doesn't have any ideas anymore okay. or my boss didn't need anything from me so i was kind of stuck in there this i had to learn in your ra interview you talked about how working without computers uh, really taught you about sound how to feel sound and how to kind of make it into a picture what does that mean exactly well in the beginning there was only analog i started or i learned the whole evolution of sound from the beginning we recorded on analog tape we cut the tape with a scissor, we stick it together. So one cut is wrong, you have to do everything again. Right. And then uh, the digital revolution came and we had the samplers coming in and suddenly we had computers doing only uh, MIDI first and then hardest recording. All this development, all this evolution was so interesting for me to see in the studio and also to to experience then in my own private studio. Did you ever find it hard to keep up with the evolution? Um, no, I was always interested in what's 
coming, what's what's up there in the future, how music developed, it's the same evolution. I mean, I guess you kind of have to be open to things, otherwise you'll just get left behind, yeah. if that makes sense. I don't care so much being <laughs> <laughs> left behind. I have my own vision, what I want to create or... Mm -hmm experience. We're talking about learning um, with analog and I wonder if you think that that experience kind of gives you a bit of something extra as a as an engineer now like you kind of know something that other people who are just digital don't know. I think so yeah. I think also the the evolution of uh, suddenly when digi when everything was made in the computer suddenly they wanted to go back. They wanted to emulate the old times, mm -hmm. like analog uh, distortion, analog uh, tape delays and all this stuff. But I experienced the, the real thing. And I think sometimes it's so good to have this experience. It was more real for me. This is like all this new stuff is just like they want to be. Is it funny to like have to put in those kind of sounds, those analog sounds that people are chasing? Is it kind of funny for you to feel like people want to go back in time like that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think they, they um, realized that there was something really good happening in the beginning with music, with music development. Also the, the music itself, the style of music, they still like to, <laughs> they still like to, produce music like in, in the 90s or like going back to uh, house or th there's no step further. Mm. They always like to see the, the good part of the beginning. So you think there's no nowhere further to go? Well, this is what I <laughs> also try to find out. I'm still looking for, uh, for future music. Can you talk a bit more about those early days working in a studio? I can imagine that, you know, you were talking about learning to cut the tape and things like that. So was it exciting to have those kind of challenges where you were really learning hands-on, on-the-go kind of thing? Challenging, yeah, 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 of course. I mean, as I told you, if you made a wrong cut, you have mm -hmm. to do it again. And if you... Well, there was a, a situation when I really started in the very beginning... Uh, when the band played in the recording room and uh, made like a full session and came back into the studio, they asked me, can we hear it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, should I have recorded? <laughs> no. And they were like, my God, this was our best take. Yeah. It's making me feel a lot better about all my recording mistakes. And But this is how you learn, you yeah. know, you do this once yeah. and somebody put the whole feeling into the track and there was like, ah, I, I didn't <laughs> record that, uh, sorry. Uh, can you do it again? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, but this is a um, learning experience you have to do. I guess there was also a limit to like what you, what you wanted to challenge yourself with. I read that the first time you picked up a guitar, for example, you just found it too complicated and you didn't want to do that. So <laughs> you know. I did a lot of research. Yeah. <laughs> so can you talk a bit about that? Like what, what made machines easier for you to kind of connect with in that way? Um, I guess I'm a bit lazy mm -hmm. with, uh, with learning. I mean, I bought the guitar and it's hard for me to, Uh, to have like playing with one hand the chords uh -huh. and with the other doing something different sure. like rhythmically so I have to divide myself in the middle somehow and I couldn't do that I was like really also I wanted to learn drums mm -hmm. maybe you didn't know that but <laughs> I was like trying to play a drum set it's like and I can't you know <laughs> I can't I can't divide myself so I really had the MS-20 in a, in a shop and I just pressed one note <laughs> <laughs> and could p uh, put the note on hold and just tweak the knobs. Perfect. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my instrument. Do you feel like that came from somewhere, like you had some kind of innate connection with machines? Like, do you grow up loving technology or something within your family? Well, then I knew that I loved that. From when then I, on? When, from then on, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting how some people just kind of gravitate towards machines and other people, it just makes no sense to myself included. Mm -hmm. So how did that then 
translate into a desire to make music you know like just having that one moment was that from then on you just knew that's what you wanted to do of course yeah but there's also the 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 music i was listening to mm. in this time there in the 80s suddenly uh, everything became so much easier to uh, produce your own music with ch uh, cheap equipment not like cheap but uh, affordable equipment mm -hmm. you could buy like an uh, a drum machine or an ms20 or uh, you have like a cassette player could do recordings with that all these bands i was listening to they were like on the same wave right what kind of bands like uh, mostly um, bands from england I was listening to, uh, oh my God, Cabaret Voltaire mm. and Human League and all these beginning of the 80s. Mm. Also German bands like Der Plan, amazing influence for me. And they were developing in the same direction I was also interested in very much. So that kept me in this flow, that kept me interested. You say developing into the same sort of sound that you were interested. What kind of sounds are you talking about? Not a perfect sound. Mm. I really like like a kind of cheap or childish play with that. And you could put so much emotions in there and could like see somehow a future in there. Because these sounds you never heard could do something really futuristic. Uh, were your friends at the time also into electronic music? Mm -hmm. My best friend, Lars, who I was working with on a project, on my first project called mm. Foese. Maybe you know that, no? He was in my, uh, we were schoolmates and we um, started to work together. Nice to have somebody else that's interested in the same thing you are. Of course, at that yeah. time. So then you started putting together your little studio when you were still living with your parents um, and you got your MS-20, which you've mentioned already. And I guess that was kind of the machine that started it all for you. So what was it like when you played it for the first time? This was in the shop, actually, in mm -hmm. the sh in the in the shop where I bought it. Put the thing on hold, and tweaked the knobs, and I was just, this is this is my instrument. This is what I need. And then I brought it home, and I remember my father was like, "What did you buy for all your <laughs> money you earned?" And this is it loud? Does it make any noise? And I went, "No, no, I can put it. I can put headphones on. Don't worry." <laughs> And so I was always uh, putting the headphones and were like jamming around with the machines. But soon um, I, th I needed something else because the synth synthesizer is very, uh, I mean, not limited. It just has a mono output. And it was good to include like an effect, for example, like a uh, delay unit. So I bought a delay unit and I bought The addiction other stuff. starts. <laughs> and then, yeah, then, but with just one <laughs> instrument, you could do so much. Step by step, I added more things to it. So how much did an MS-20 cost at the time? 1,200. Okay. Daymark. 2,000 Okay, euros. well, that's a lot. Yeah. Still. Interesting. And so I know you mentioned feeling like that was your instrument. And did it feel like the start of a career for you at the time? <laughs> I, don't, I never thought about <laughs> I never thought about to get uh, become a, a star it was just like a hobby for me I just wanted to explore things I never thought about putting this out or <laughs> my music goes somewhere it was just for me and my friends I wanted to learn for myself I mean when did that change obviously it did change at some point feeling like you were putting music out into the world um very late, very late. I never had the feeling to to promote my music. I wanted to rather work as an engineer to make money, but I was always afraid to make money with my music. I I don't I think it puts a pressure on you. It takes the fun out of it. It takes the fun. Mm -hmm. It puts a pressure, and maybe your music gets worse. <laughs> do, you, do you think your music's gotten worse? <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. Uh, but I, I, when I listen back to some stuff I did, I, I most of the stuff I really like what mm -hmm. I did. I'm not ashamed of anything. <laughs> I was quite ashamed once when I worked in the studio and worked on these projects on Milli Vanilli or mm. on these projects. I was a bit. 
I didn't want to name it so mm-hmm. much. I guess you just have to do what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. So you're still playing the same MS-20 today. How has your relationship to it changed or evolved over the years? Well, it's in the corner there. When <laughs> I think he needs a little hug, then I <laughs> take him out and do something with it. And it's always still a great moment when I have it. it remembers me of old times. Do you still feel the same joy that you felt that first day in the shop when you tried it out? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do very much. Even more, even all the histories in there, all the knobs are like crackling a bit, <laughs> but there are there are the same knobs. Mm-hmm. Wow, you you've know? taken good care of it. Yeah. So, what other tools are essential for you? I know that your debut album, Leaning Over Backwards, was made primarily with an 808 and a Mini Pops. So, what can you tell me about making that album, for example? Well, um, main uh, instrument is the drum machine, the 808. Mm-hmm. I also bought it quite early, the same drum machine. It has just this uh, history for me that I made my first tracks with the machine and there was nothing like house or anything invented. Mm. And I already made like some beats with it and this I remember on it and I wanted always to, to get this feeling back to create a beat without any connection to what is happening now with music's uh, styles or anything like that. So I wanted to have like a pure, fresh start, even exactly with this album, mm-hmm. Leaning Over Backwards. Do you feel like you achieved that vision with that record? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I still like it. I recently listened to it and mm-hmm. I was like, it's not that bad. <laughs> Usually when I finished an album, I never listen to it again. Okay. It's like it's over and out. And But recently I listened to it and I thought it's uh, quite good. Something that came up in a lot of the reviews for that album was that it was a nice break from your usual music, which is a, a bit more difficult, quote unquote, compared to Leaning Over Backwards, which was a bit more stripped back. What do you think of that? I had this band... Um, this project with my friend Dandy Jack, mm-hmm. a project called Siegebidi Sonne. Mm-hmm. We had four albums out, and uh, it was more like a um, poppy, futuristic project that was very important for, for my time, for mm. my career. And with the Leaning Over Backwards, it was the first thing that I did solo in another direction. Also the connection to Ostgood Mm -hmm. was involved and uh, I wanted to start some kind of new story for me. But all this, uh, there there was like a break because I did all this music before in Frankfurt. Okay. Leaning over backwards Mm -hmm. was the first thing I did when I came to Berlin. Okay, interesting. Also this studio and everything you see here there was like a, I had like a midlife crisis break and mm-hmm. I had to escape from my studio job okay. from my friends in Frankfurt and I moved to Berlin. Mm-hmm. When you say midlife crisis, you just needed a big change? Yes, exactly. Because I was stuck in this studio job, but beside I was always working on my music mm-hmm. and never tried to really um, just get everything 
done with with my stuff i was always depending on my studio job at some point i was thinking that's that can't be like going forever like it is and i just escaped when you moved here then you started working with dandy jack no no dandy no. jack was more uh, in, in frankfurt. frankfurt okay and so when you say that that's a that was a really important part of your career uh, in what ways Because Dandy Jack is a very special person, very special, a very good friend of mine from a long time, like '87. I met him. Wow, pretty long. And uh, he is Chilean, so he um, introduced me to Chile. Mm -hmm. First time I went to Chile to see Santiago was in '89. Mm -hmm. Dandy Jack was so important for me and for all the development of my music because he had a vision a vision to go somewhere else with music we had this band a uh, project Sigui Dizona in the beginning there was like five people involved most of them stopped working and we were just the two of us when when I came to Berlin, we were just the two of us. But before we did some records together. It's a long story. It's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to start and where to end. And <laughs> Having somebody that had that vision, what did that do for you? Did it push you also to have your own vision for what you wanted to do yourself? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Music was always important for both of us, for me and for him. But when I came to Berlin, uh, somehow our relationship stopped. Because when I came to Berlin, he moved to Geneva. We did one more last record with our friend, a Chilean singer, Jorge Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. He's in this band, uh, this famous Chilean band, Los Prisioneros. Mm. Um, quite the, the Beatles from Chile. Okay or the Rolling Stones from Chile. <laughs> um, he was a good friend of us and he sang on the last record of us. And when I came to Berlin, our, our story kind of ended. So I started my own thing. He moved to Geneva and started his thing. So what else can you tell me about your machines and your studio setup? Something you said previously is that some of them are just kind of waiting around for their turn to be played. Lots of things are not plugged in. Um, and you kind of arrive to the studio with a blank page. Mm -hmm. I really like that as a concept. Can you speak a bit more about your creative process? Yeah, you see that lots of machines are in the in the shelf somewhere. And I don't like to have everything connected. I mean, the outboard gear from the from the mixer and from the from the studio itself is always connected. But the instruments, I like to concentrate on one machine and plug it in and try something with effects. I don't like it when it's everything connected. It puts me into a pressure. Is there something also kind of like romantic a bit about like plugging things in, like that tactile sort of quality? You mentioned turning actual knobs and pressing real buttons. I wonder if coming in and plugging things in also has that sort of quality for you? Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. I like also to to screw things out of the out of the rack mm -hmm. and screw it in and turn screws mm -hmm. with a screwdriver, <laughs> like really working. <laughs> <laughs> Labor intensive. Yeah. Is that also why you feel like you couldn't go maybe like fully digital with your work just because you would miss that sort of physical aspect of it? I use digital. I mean, I also like it very much. It's necessary now in our times now even with mastering or with sound cards and all this stuff is very important but i need the the uh, i need both sides i need to have an analog input and treat it digitally mm -hmm. just just on a, working on a digital basis is uh, not enough for me Something that you are interested in digitally, apparently, is the kind of control that you get from using a digital workspace, like copying and saving and being able to like recall things that you've done before. Can you talk a bit about that process? Recently, I started to check my tapes, my cassette tapes, mm -hmm. and transfer it to, to digital. Okay. And I find so much interesting stuff in there. 
Um, as well, the the sampler we used to um, save everything on a zip drive to connect this and and collect it and uh, reproduce it into the computer or store it in the computer. You find so much nice, interesting things. Mm -hmm. But I have to say that I really like to just work with the sampler much more than working with a with a sampler out of the computer. It has a certain sound quality that I don't find out of the computer. You mentioned this certain sound quality. Is that also why you have kept working with the same sort of machines over the past, you know, 30 years, the, the MS-20 that you've had for ages? Or is it just that because there are certain synthesizers that can just do exactly what you want them to do? I'm, I'm not only working with MS-20. <laughs> I have lots of other things. I have lots of other things. And also the studio from Max here on the other. Uh -huh. uh, I use stuff there. But there is like the MS-20 and the MC-202 from Roland that's over there. Mm -hmm. This is mostly my uh, instrument that I play live with. Okay. And I also always use it for a lot of productions of mine. But it does seem like you have how you have what you like and you kind of stick with that. You're not constantly buying new things. No. no so as the type of artist who gets bored easily and doesn't want to repeat himself very much, how does that dynamic work when you kind of are working within the same context of machines? Um, this is quite difficult. <laughs> I don't want to repeat myself. So... I have to go deeper into machines mm. or into recording ideas. And I've, I have this thing that I collect a lot of um, field recordings, even with the phone, even just with the phone, I collect a lot of things. And this I use to sample and make something out of it. So this is always kind of like a new instrument, even if it's just uh, some water running or some birds. But you can treat them so good, technically, that it's kind of like a new element into in the music. A couple of years ago, you put out an EP, 1972, which used recordings that you collected during your childhood. Can you talk mm -hmm. a bit about that? Yeah, as I told you, I was collecting all the tapes mm -hmm. and I found a tape um, of my father. My father, somehow I just found out that he was recording mm -hmm. things. He also made like Super 8 movies and he had a cassette recorder and recorded uh, his uh, clocks in the house. Bavarian cuckoo urn and he recorded actually the the moment when there was this announcement of 1972 where, you know the olympic atta okay. yeah. uh, attack in yeah. the in yeah. the stadium in munich wow. he recorded on the t on tv wow amazing i don't know <laughs> why but i guess he just wanted to uh, check out the the level of the or check out the recording system itself mm -hmm. and he put the microphone on the on the TV and recorded all this speech of the of the guy who announced that there were some attacks and they had to stop or I don't know and this well, I used for the okay. for the actual song that's Amazing. why it's called 1972. Right, right, okay. Pretty emotional for yeah, me. Yeah, definitely. Also, like, to hear yeah. this, and I hear my father like saying something. He's still alive, but but anyway, it's oh, wow. super, okay. super emotional. Discovering hidden <laughs> secret stuff from him. Yeah. What else did you find in the box? Oh, um, can't really remember. Interesting. Everything is so interesting to mm -hmm. to have like some history there. I'm. St I still didn't. <laughs> copy everything <laughs> there I still it's so much work everything you recorded on there you have to also record back you mm -hmm, need the mm -hmm. whole time <laughs> again you know listening and cutting and it's a, it's a lot of work. work yeah was it your first time using sounds from your childhood mm, yeah in this context yes mm -hmm. like in a clubby context okay yeah yeah I did this for the first time I was reading about your reel-to-reel -reel tape project. I didn't exactly understand what 
you had done with it. Could you explain a bit about what that was? The I uh, yeah okay, this uh, <laughs> real to real. Um, my friend he has two tape machines, Revox tape machines, and you could do this uh, real to real echo loops like Frippertronics. You heard of that? Brian Eno developed this mm -hmm. uh, system that you record on one machine. The tape goes over like a distance to the other mm -hmm. and the the echo of, of this is depending on the length of the of the distance Joining, of the yeah, tape machines. Yeah. And this goes back into the recording machine. So the, the, there is this loop okay. of echo loop and I wanted to create the same thing because he has two machines and I was like I always wanted to do that you could do this digitally now it's easily to to have a program that does that mm -hmm. but I wanted to have the same equipment doing that with precisely turning the knobs and it was distorting and was quite challenging to uh, work on that I, I put them there over the mixer and it was just so cool. <laughs> it was so good to to have the same system and working with it. So mm. I did it. I guess I'm asking because I wonder if it's also part of the challenge to just like take things that you already have and find a, a new way to use them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And to go back using the same machines mm -hmm. is what I really what I'm really interested in. So you've also collaborated with Valentina Bertolon as Recent Arts. I think that's your wife, right? Yes. So your wife, yeah. <clears throat> uh, to make an AV show and a few albums. So what is that collaboration like? I can imagine it's fun to push those boundaries even more that we were just talking about. It's the first time I did something with my partner, mm -hmm. with my girlfriend or now with my partner. It's so, um, how do I say, it's so... Um, challenging somehow to create something together you put something in and you get something back and I have a lot of fun doing that the, to have another input from my wife that I love you know and then you get something or also like critics that we work on something together and it's good to it's good to have that this thing together I love it were you nervous the first time? No. I, I'm asking because, um, for example, when I ask my partner for help with things, I always get a little bit like, I don't know, it's a bit different showing my work to him than it is. No, to but the rest of the you world. know that she, she knew that I do music sure. and she knew that I was already working on something. Actually, before she came to Berlin, you don't know the story. I don't know if I should tell you the whole story. Why she? Because she was in Chile, living in Santiago, uh -huh. when we met again. <laughs> it's too long this story. <laughs> it's um, okay. uh, but um, when we came together, we already started working on a, on our first project called The History of Darkness that we actually perform uh, next week in Basel. Okay. We do the same show. Wow. It's so good. That's what I'm working on uh, right now. And this is the first thing we did. And she was or, uh, still in, in Chile and I was working on uh, audio material here in Berlin. 
and send it over to her mm-hmm. and she made some visuals to it mm. and so we started to connect i had just an idea what she might like and she sent me some visuals back and we somehow it was an easy connection it must be nice to have this kind of output that seems like it's the pinnacle of all your different creative fields like visual and sound and all these things kind of coming together as one thing um well i think uh, visual to my music is is always something very necessary somehow i uh, when i when i drove back home from the studio always i listened to my track yeah i drove back with the car and had this visual uh driving moment mm-hmm. listening to my music this was kind of fulfilling suddenly yeah. uh, not only do you l- sit in front of your speakers and listen to your song but to have this visual aspect that mm. you listen to your music while you're watching something moving it's what i miss sometimes it's like a missing piece like a l- puzzle exactly. piece the last puzzle piece exactly do you think you'll have visuals to accompany all your music um i made a i made a a record with visuals mm-hmm. that i did by myself okay you know in the very beginning i was filming uh, also filming super 8 movies very cool in my school time and uh, captured everything i still have everything on uh, data somewhere and connected it to the music i was working on i have so many things it's so crazy i guess it's a good <laughs> thing that you keep everything yeah it's challenging yeah it's good it's so good yeah so how else are you using your machines in new and exciting ways or would you say that you're just creating a lot of music and therefore that is kind of creative i actually don't know i don't know really why i do that i just have this need to be here and create something sometimes i'm just sitting here <laughs> they really i'm thinking i need to record something today whatever i just need a, a, a sequence mm-hmm. but i need to record it it's like some kind of diary i need to re- record the day what i did right. and the day even if it's not good even if it's just a stupid idea or just a sequence or just a whatever I need to record it and collect it somewhere. Does it make it difficult for you like I can imagine sometimes that's a bit of pressure maybe because you feel like you have to create? Uh it's not a pressure but it's a relief that I do something. Mm. It's um I feel uh, more satisfied when I go home and I did something. Not that I was just here. Sometimes it's good to also clean <laughs> the studio. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know that I also did something. And productive. Productive, yeah. Yeah. I was saying this to Uva when I interviewed him several years ago that I've seen you guys play live together so many times but every time it's been really different. So how is it for you both as a pair and as a solo musician to play live so often having to be creative all the time? To play with Uva is uh, the easiest thing <laughs> in the world. The same with Max. These two guys that are we don't have to talk at all. we just listen to what the other puts into the pot mm. and we react to that so we are um, you have to be um trusting your machines that they are doing what you tell them to do a part of our creativity it's really easy to work together and what about when you're playing live on your own because you're only playing live Mm-hmm. these days right yeah. so how is that for you is it uh, something new every time i my set is so kind of open that i that i just before i start playing i decide where i start with mm-hmm. if i start in the middle of my uh, my set or another beginning and if i'm in it's just flowing i can't say differently <laughs> it's just like easy work not thinking about it of course i'm nervous 
<laughs> when I do that and it's like a big crowd in front of me. But when I am, when I'm confident with my machines and they run st uh, steadily, then then I have no no fear. Does that feel like being creative or does it just feel like it's coming out? You don't have to like plan what you're going to do or think of an idea right in the moment. Mm -hmm. No, I don't. I don't plan too much. I mean, I've, I've create some stuff before in the studio mm -hmm. that I just put into the pot and mix it together somehow. It's like that. What else is going into your live set these days? Has much changed over the past little while? Not much, no. Mm -hmm. It's still the same things. When I'm here in Berlin, I play with the 808 as the main basic uh, beats. The MC202 provides the uh, bass sequences and the rest comes from the from Bitwig. Actually, mm -hmm. I changed to Bitwig. And I have a um, pad with samples that I that are there are loops on and there's like vocals and other stuff. And all these pads on the on the drum pad sometimes I completely forgot what's on there. <laughs> and this is uh, this is also I want that. I want to have it not structured so much. I want mm. to surprise myself. Be a bit uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, some some kind of punk has to be in some dirt and some <laughs> I like that. In your RA interview you talked about the difference between playing live and working in the studio and you said they're completely different. But as far as I understand you're using a lot of the same machines. So what is different about those two processes? Well, in the studio I'm I have the machine connected to uh, to the whole other equipment and I have much more possibilities in the studio with connecting the, even just a simple bass drum to all my outboard gear. This, this you don't have in the, in mm. the live setup. That's kind of the only difference, I would say, to have my studio in the studio. You can't put the studio on, on, on a live clubby setup. And what about in terms of your mindset? Uh, what's different in that, in that respect? Sometimes I'm I'm lost. I'm sitting here and think <laughs> what to do, and I decided I maybe need um, an ice cream or a coffee. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> then then I get another idea. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not it's not always like working. I come to the studio and have like a super idea, and it's just I don't know how to say that. Sometimes it it's inspiring me, and sometimes. But I guess when you're playing live, you don't have time to do to have that sort of thinking about it. No. You just have to do it. Yeah, exactly. I read that during the pandemic, you had a hard time producing anything because you felt like you were missing that kind of dialogue between yourself and the crowd. And you had kind of no real inspiration. Can you talk a bit about that, that time in your life? Sure. Um, you need the, the connection to the people when you, when you are actually a techno musician. I'm not considering myself only a techno musician, but I enjoy being in the club. Mm -hmm. uh, not always, but yeah, I do enjoy it. And um, this wasn't there in the corona in the COVID times, so I actually was a bit bored of techno. Mm. And my colleague here in the in the hallway, you saw, he has a very nice bass amplifier. So like a, like the the same um, uh, baby I have like the the MS20, he has this bass mm -hmm. amplifier and I have a bass here a real physical bass, and I thought I will connect them. Can I can I borrow you a bass? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can have it. So I connected them. I can't play bass, but just to play one note and. And to suddenly, I feel you feel the instrument vibrating, mm -hmm. and you hear the amazing frequency from the speaker. So I thought I connect the 909 and just play some grooves there <laughs> with the bass. And though this was, this is the start of this uh, project. I have this mutual torture. Mm -hmm. I had the idea to produce like a punk record. I love that. <laughs> and it 
it turned out so easily and wasn't any challenge and it wasn't I didn't doubt anything mm. and I, th I know um, I mean I was working with Javier Gonzalez a Chilean friend we did this whole thing with the Iniciativa Music like a founding project to bring her over and I started working on the album and I brought her over we did the singing and finished the record quite easily how was it then to come back to doing techno after you'd just been doing punk for a little bit <laughs> Actually, the first uh, time, I can't remember where I was playing. I guess I played in Berghain. I guess I played in Berghain, my, my set again. I changed a little bit on my old live set, and I played in Berghain. I was like, oh, 4 o'clock. Ah, fuck. <laughs> I have to play at 4 o'clock, really? <laughs> But then I came and had such a good time. Again, listening to m my stuff on a good sound system, It's still something I enjoy a lot. <laughs> Even if it's four o'clock, you can deal with that. <laughs> so are you doing something these days to ensure that you don't lose your inspiration again? Um, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> What should I do? <laughs> no, I'm, I don't lose my inspiration. If You know there's ups and downs over with all artists. I guess it's like good times and, and challenging times. But... I will never lose this sparkle of creating something. I'm not afraid. You've been listening to Tobias for Air Podcast, episode 59. We'll be back on the last Wednesday of the month, so check back in October for another episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at at underscore air podcast or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash air podcast. Thanks for listening. Yeah.